HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sweetgrass Dairy, a second-generation, family-owned creamery. Visit SweetgrassDairy.com to learn more. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome legendary chef, restaurateur, and author Lydia Bastianich. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Lydia about her passion for sharing Italian food, her new cookbook, Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and A Bowl. And we'll hear Lydia's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. It's no secret that Julia was passionate about French food, and this passion inspired her mission to demystify French cooking for Americans. While Julia certainly loved French classics and teaching us how to make them properly, what underpinned Julia's love of French food was really the reverence for ingredients and using the best technique. Later in her career, she extended these tenets more broadly, exploring great American cooking and bringing innovative American chefs to the forefront. At the foundation, we think of Julia's legacy extending well beyond French food, about someone whose joy and passion for food and drink inspired so many to try new things, cook for themselves, and seek out the best possible ingredients. Someone who fully embodies Julia's approach is legendary chef, restaurateur, and author Lydia Bastianich. Like Julia, she played a central role in teaching Americans about, in her case, Italian food. She's well-known, like Julia, for hosting instructive programs produced for public television. And like Julia, she's authored more than a dozen award-winning cookbooks, including the rather familiar-sounding Mastering the Art of Italian Cuisine, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Great Italian Cook in addition to many of her television series, Companion Books. 
She's also written a children's book series and a memoir, My American Dream, A Life of Love, Family, and Food. But like many who followed in Julia's footsteps, Lydia's accomplishments go well beyond Julia's. She's a true mogul, running numerous successful restaurants around the country, in addition to her extensive work on television. Moreover, she started with nothing. The daughter of refugees, her family arrived in America after fleeing communist Yugoslavia from what had been Italy's Istrian Peninsula. She made a splash in the American restaurant scene in 1981, having opened the celebrated Felidia in New York City. Its success bred many other restaurants, including Lydia's Kansas City in my hometown, and more than a half dozen Italy locations in North America, ever expanding worldwide. Having created the Emmy Award-winning Lydia's Kitchen, Lydia founded Tavola Productions, which has produced many of her subsequent PBS cooking shows, while garnering multiple James Beard Awards and Emmy nominations in the process. And since she has so much free time, Lydia, together with her daughter Tanya, who frequently collaborates on her cookbooks, and her son-in-law, have also created a line of artisanal pastas and sauces. She's a member of Les Dames d'Escoffier and a founding member of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, both organizations run by and for women leaders in hospitality. She's even had the honor of feeding two popes. Lydia joins us today to talk about her passion for Italian food and her newest cookbook, Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and A Bowl, Simple Recipes for Perfect Meals. Welcome to the podcast, Lydia. Buongiorno, Tad. My pleasure. Grazie, grazie. So I wanted to start because, as I just described, you have a lot of experience in the restaurant business. And a lot's happened in the last two years on so many different levels. And I was just curious, as someone who's not only successful, obviously not an overnight success, success over a really sustained period of time and really experienced, I was just curious what your kind of perspective on where we go from here and what is the future of the, the restaurant industry, given how, how hard hit it's been and how much has changed? Well, Todd, I am 50 years in the business, so hence... Some experience. I opened my first restaurant in 1971, and I was rather young. Uh, the industry has evolved, has changed. And, you know, uh, uh, our, the food industry, the restaurant industry, is uh, a living entity in a sense. It uh, feeds us socially and emotionally and uh, nutritionally. And as restaurateurs, as chefs, as people in the industry, as cookbook writers, TV uh, cooking show, uh, uh, um, uh, let's say, presenters, we need to be conscious of all of that. Uh, and we need to incorporate it in whatever we do in the future. So where is the industry going? It's been a tough year. It's been a very tough year for the industry. Uh, you know, COVID has really hit hard. Uh, there is the me movement. There's all kinds of conscious movements socially, which, you know, are good. We need to move. We need to change. We need to be conscious of what we're doing. But our industry is really uh, uh, hit, I would say, economically by the, the COVID. So what's good about it, we are all sort of picking ourselves up and continuing. And uh, will it be different? Yes, most likely it will be. I think that um, in the future, uh, you know, the industry will be maybe more respected, more regarded. Uh, I think that uh, as professionals, it will be, uh, uh, we will be more proud of this industry, more prepared, more conscious, more conscious about 
the social setting, more conscious about the environment, more conscious about where the world is going. So, uh, you know, uh, I've been 50 years in the industry. Uh, I sort of, you know, my children are uh, uh, carrying on, which is Joseph and Tanya. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, it's their vision coupled with my basis that it's going to continue, certainly, our family business. And is that for you, did you, do you, have you sort of pulled back from the day-to-day running of restaurants and are focusing on, on other things? Is that also sort of an evolution in your career? It is. It is. 50 years. That's why I said it's been uh, a long time. It's, uh, you know, I loved every minute of it. And it was really very hard for me to make, although I was thinking about, you know, letting the reins go, I think COVID, shall we say, pushed me over the edge. But also, you know, uh, it's been a hard year for me because uh, my 100-year-old mother passed away. She lived with me so emotionally and all that. And the time, I think, for me is right. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm out of it. I'm in the background. We, we discuss. I discuss with my children. I go regularly and see. I follow up. I continue my cookbook. There's a, the, there's a new one that we are just discussing. I'm working on a new one. I just work, uh, finished uh, taping 26 new episodes for PBS uh, and, and so on. So, uh, you know, I'm energetic maybe in, in spreading the news, spreading my experience, you know, as a mentor to my family and to those out there that uh, would like to listen to me. Yes, even that, that's all still amazing to think. I mean, anyone who's been in any business for 50 years, and let alone, I think people get a big pat on the back if they've run a restaurant for five years and haven't um, worn themselves out or gone bankrupt. So let alone 50 is just incredible. Um, you obviously have a lot of energy by nature. I do. Uh, uh, you know, I'm energetic. I think uh, you mentioned in the introduction, you know, I'm a child uh, uh, of immigrants. I came to the United States. I was 13 years old. Uh, and so for me, coming to the United States was a great, great opportunity to start a new life uh, because, you know, we left uh, our home, our everything behind. And I just dived into America, shall we say, from a teenager into then the passion because in the family, we were always in the food with grandma, with aunts and all of that. And what I noticed, uh, Todd, was that, you know, the food that I was cooking, people loved the message that I was given, you know, was home, was simple, was straightforward, was seasonal, was Italian. People loved it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you think it is about Italian food that, that remains a, a favorite cuisine in America? Because in certain parts of America, like New York, New Jersey, there are lots of Ita- people of Italian descent. But actually, as you kind of spread out through the country, it dissipates a bit. But So I would say the, the love and appreciation and even cooking at home for Italian food extends so far beyond anyone with Italian heritage. What, what do you think is that connective tissue? Well, uh, I think that uh, it's uh, the Italian food is straightforward. It is simple. It is real. Uh, it is seasonal. It reflects the people that cook it, and it is good. You know, we're all talking about the Mediterranean for a long time, but Italy really represents that philosophy, and uh, uh, it is just tasty and it is doable. So, so I think that people connect to it. Uh, also, because, uh, you know, the Italian immigrants, uh, when they came to America, 
started cooking Italian, opened restaurants, and uh, uh, so spread the Italian word uh, of food. Although, Todd, initially, the, the uh, uh, Italian-American food was the food of the immigrants. What, uh, when I opened Felidia in 81, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to cook what we eat at home, the regional food of Italy. And uh, that's uh, where I think I made a difference. And that's where I met Julia. I'll tell you the story. Well, we're looking forward to that. In your, is that going to be your Julia moment, meeting uh, Julia at, at Felidia? Or you're going to no, keep well, us in suspense? No, well, I have, a, I have other moments that are, uh, I was thinking about. But I did, Julia did come with James Beard, mind, mind you, to Felidia because she was wondering, this young Italian chef woman, cooking this strange Italian food because I got into regional food. I cooked polenta, I cooked risotto, I cooked yotta, which is a sauerkraut and bean soup. And so she came and she wanted to discover and then we got to know each other. And uh, we've been sort of connected uh, ever since that 1981. So I think partly just back to sort of Italian food 101, right? For for in early sort of pre-1980, right, the food that you would get in America, particularly in Italian restaurants, was, to my understanding, really influenced by immigrants from Southern Italian and Sicily and then adapted for America. And one of the things that you were involved with is sort of the movement that Italian food was more diverse than just spaghetti and meatballs. And I'll never forget the moment we had an Italian nanny who I was I had to explain to her how to, who was from Rome, so she was Roman. <laughs> I had to explain to her what spaghetti and meatballs were because Romans don't eat that, right? So No, no. Do you, do, can you talk a little bit about that contrast and, right, the food you were was quite northern influenced and quite different? Right. Well, Italy has 20 regions, so there's a lot to choose from. But to go back to those immigrants, the big, the first big influx of Italian immigrants came at the end of the 1800s. And they basically came from the poorest regions, Sicily, Campania, which is Naples, Calabria, uh, uh, Basilicata, all those sort of uh, the, the tip of the boot, if you will, uh, area. And, and the cuisine that is Italian-American reflects those flavors. But coming here, they did not find the traditional products to cook those recipes that they so vividly remember. You know, to transport a, a cuisine, it's, it's two things. It's the traditional products, the flavors of that country, and the technique. So they did not have, they had the technique, but they didn't have the traditional products. And this Italian-American cuisine was born, cooking what they remember with what they found. And it was different, you know, there was uh, a lot of uh, uh, garlic because garlic was found here and garlic reminded them of home. In Italy, you've traveled to Italy, we don't use that much garlic as the Italian-American cuisine. Uh, they also found the abundance of meat here in America. Hence the Sunday sauce didn't only include a piece of pancetta or a piece of uh, a few sausages. It included here in the Italian-American cuisine meatballs, sausages, bracciole, uh, pieces of, of pork, fresh pork, abundance of meat because here they were, they came because sometimes they didn't have food in Italy and here they had abundance of meat. So what they remember, they augmented with a lot and the cuisine took on a new profile, if you will, the Italian-American, which is delicious. People love it. And it's a story of the immigrants. But if you go to Italy, that's not what we eat in Italy. 
And, and do you think that was the one thing you were sort of inspired and took on board was that you wanted to introduce Americans to, to, to this wider variety and maybe the timing had changed where it was easier to get imported ingredients or, or, or the ingredients you needed to kind of replicate more, if you will, authentic Italian cuisine? Well, yeah, I wanted to share with my new country, because this is my new country, my new people, with my heritage, my old country. And so I wanted to bring them together. And food does all of that. And, uh, you know, I says, but, you know, at home, we cook this way. And then uh, all the regions of Italy. At that time, I didn't know all the regions, but I surely went back and did all of the research and continued to profess the the regional foods of Italy that one finds when they go to Italy now. And uh, I also gave respect and loved Italian-American cuisine. I wrote two books on the Italian-American cuisine. I did thorough research across the United States in all the Italian sort of immigrant enclaves, if you will, and how they cooked. So it's a valiant cuisine. It's a good cuisine. Uh, but in Italy, it's a regional cuisine that we cook. Well, and I was struck by, I haven't been to where your family came from, but I've been to Dubrovnik and uh-huh. was struck of how Italian the food there is. And then you realize, well, actually, it the to me, the more proper reference is not even, it, it's the Venetian Empire. And where the Venetian Empire sat had actually more commonality to its food. Do, do you have that same kind of perspective? Do you think that's a good way oh. to look at it? Or Oh, absolutely. The Serenissima, the Venetian Empire, uh, uh, ruled that area for 700 years. 700 years is a long time. And uh, uh, it's it went all the way down, uh, sort of, you know, from Italy into where we are and all the way down the coast to down to Dubrovnik. And when you travel in those places, it's inevitable that you notice some Italianita, shall we say, in, mm. the, in, in the architecture, in the food, even in dialects and languages. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, it's uh, absolutely... Uh, the the regionality of of the Italian food had spread all the way down to Dubrovnik, even though now it's Croatian. Well, and the other thing while you were talking that I wanted to ask you about, and I'm not remembering the date, but I always think it's mind-blowing because when we were talking about it, Italian-American food and like heavy tomato sauces or rich tomato sauces are so closely associated with it. And the idea, I think a lot of Americans, particularly if they haven't had the chance to go to Italy, have this very strong association with tomatoes and tomato sauce. But what year did the tomato even come to Italy? It didn't exist there until what the 17th, maybe even the 18th century or even later? Right. The discovery by Columbus brought eventually the tomatoes, the peppers, the corn, all of that. So that was not Italian. The Roman Roman recipes have no tomatoes in it. It's all uh, uh, oil, uh, pork fat, cheeses, milks, and so on. Uh, so so a tomato is, is an alter. But you know, uh, the Italian, I you, I always wonder, the Italian have such a diversity of great products, great vegetables, great fruits. Why? Well, first of all, Italy is small, but it topographically, it is so diverse. It has so many microclimates within the Alps to the north, the Apennine, the, the chain that goes down, it's the backbone of Italy all the way down. Oceans on both sides, different temperatures, different humidities, different all conducive to great growing of products, fruits, and so on. Uh, you know, so, so uh, uh, Italy uh, was, was 
positioned in such a in such a in such a way that uh, they all of these products and hence when tomatoes came, oh, they found the perfect place. You know, San Marzano near Naples. You know, volcanic uh, earth, very nice and rich. The sun, the sea, the 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 reflection from the sea would would mature them and so on. Corn, polenta, where I come from, uh, in Friuli. You know, corn is, is, is a product that yields a lot for what it demands. You know, one stock will give you, uh, four or five, uh, heads of, of corn and so on. And when there was the famine, uh, up in, in, in Friuli, in our, in our area, corn became the sort of sustaining element. So polenta, we eat polenta all the time. And these are all American products. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, in our conversation is this really rich interplay between the connection and the discovery of, of, of the Americas and what was brought back to Italy that was embraced in, in its own way. And also amazingly right that I'm sure one of the great things that Italy sells are imported Italian tomatoes, right? Because they taste different because of all that natural uh, habitat that you were just describing when they're grown there versus when they're grown in, in, in California. Yeah, and Italians are very much uh, artisans, you know, in their own right, whether they produce uh, uh, cheese, whether they grow a vegetable. They really maximize. They just, uh, you know, they love food and they do the mac and they have the climate to do it. Yeah, I was going to ask you where, I mean, I've lived there, but I still not sure I can answer this question of where does the the reverence for food and ingredients and uh, uh, for those who don't know Italy is really the birthplace of the slow food move the modern slow food movement which is not necessarily new to Italians in their perspective but where where do you think this deep reverence for you know mangiare comes from you know uh, i i thought about it uh, 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 quite a few times todd and you having lived it uh, live there, you know how important the table and family unity is to Italians. Mm. Italians are so regional, 20 regions in that little <laughs> land. We, we all speak different dialects. So we are very much, uh, campanilismo. You mean the campanile, you know, the campanile mm. is the tower and everything that's around the tower belongs to a group, and that's it. So that still, I think, prevails in Italy. This this need to be together, to be. Uh, that's why Italy wasn't unified until about 110 years ago. It wasn't about great unification. About it's this unique un individualism that all the different, I guess, uh, uh, regions uh, offer, and the need to be together as a family. And of course, food uh, during the two wars and before, uh, was was scarce at time and was always so important. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, the basis of the Italian philosophy of life, of living together, of eating well, is about food tying it all together. Food is the glue. Food gives us satisfaction. Food give us, gives us connection. Food gives us uh, work and jobs and, and uh, you know, pride. Look at all the traditional products that Italy makes and uh, exports. And uh, I think the Slov movement with Petrini uh, uh, was, was sort of a call to action because maybe uh, Italy too at that time was beginning to lose its sort of focus on this traditionality and the traditional product and go more to sort of 
uh, uh, big industrial products. Well, Petrini says, no, 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 no. This is what the, our jewels. This is what we have. And certainly the Italians' uh, call to action was responsive and they're back on track uh, doing some of the best products and innovating too, some new products. No, I think that's really true. And I think that's um, putting a Julia and foundation hat on a little bit of a fear for France is is that my experience is they did not have the same kind of call to action and leadership. And it gets a little bit diffuse because if you only spend time in Paris, and particularly you're in the affluent arrondissement, you can still get an amazing croissant. But what has changed is throughout France, there has been, in my opinion, a lot more industrialization and a sort of loss of these artisanal techniques. And I feel like uh, I've been to spent time in France more recently than Italy, but the slow food movement has really helped, as you say, even create pride in these artisanal and the old ways possibly even being better. And 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 having that call to action has actually been been terrific in Italy and I think maybe more needed in France. Yes, Todd. You know, what we find out with this traditional kind of products, they are nutritionally sound. They make sense, whether it's fermentation, whether it's aging. All of this really makes uh, uh, sense for our nutritional and how we digest food and how it benefits us. I think that uh, France had this great period of great cuisine, and they took off on, on, on more on the technique maybe than even the product. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they were at the, at the top uh, and still are great uh, restaurateurs in the sense of turning a, 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 an ingredient uh, by a person, by one chef into something wonderful, the presentation and all of that. And uh, uh, I think what has been left by the side a little bit is the regional cuisine of France. I mean, if you go to Brittany, if you go to Provence and all of that, locally, you can eat some wonderful and you know, quasi-Italian sort of situations. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, those the people, the French people don't always eat what we think of maybe of French food. You know, it's different. But I think that France is realizing uh, ever more. Although, you know, uh, what's happening, Todd, around the world is this great innovations of chefs, of individual ideas, of individual creations, you know, where I am, I feel I'm a conduit of a culture, I bring my Italian tradition to my American uh, counterparts, if you will, and uh, I am true. I, I look not to uh, lose or, or, or forfeit anything that tradition uh, offers. Whereas, you know, there's the whole uh, kind of uh, uh, new chef uh, uh, that it's all about that one individual and what can they do with that product and how can they mesmerize their client, which is a very valid, uh, uh, you know, line to take in our industry. And it gives you individual uh, exposure as a chef, as a creator and whatever. Uh, but I, that was born in, in, in an Italian strong culture, I'm wedded to that culture. And maybe some of these young people uh, are, you know, going forward and it's more about their creation, and how can they get these worldly products, all of them, into a menu of their own? 
Well, I think we're grateful for your dedication to Italian food and sharing it so widely, and we've all been the beneficiaries of it. And after the break, we're going to be back with more from chef, restaurateur, and author Lydia Bassianich talking about her newest cookbook, Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and A Bowl. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Sweetgrass Dairy, a second-generation family-owned creamery in Thomasville, Georgia. Their cows are raised barn-free and graze on fresh grass year-round. You can taste the flavor of the bright South Georgia sunshine and grass with each bite of Sweetgrass Dairy cheeses. Enjoy a variety of aged, soft-ripened, and fresh cow's milk cheeses in their unique and delicious gift boxes. Gather your favorite people around the table or on a picnic blanket for an assortment of unique cheeses accompanied by preserves, crackers, cured meat, and much more. A Sweetgrass Dairy gift box is the perfect way to celebrate a special occasion or show your gratitude. Visit SweetgrassDairy.com and use the code JULIA15 for 15% off your next order. That's JULIA15 for 15% off your next order at SweetgrassDairy.com. Welcome back. We're talking to legendary chef, restaurateur, and author Lydia Bastianich about her passion for Italian food and her newest cookbook, Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and A Bowl, Simple Recipes for Perfect Meals. So Lydia, given that you've written lots of books already, what, what was the inspiration for this one and, and, and to do another one? Uh, this one, you know, I'm always trying, okay, what can I, what experiences of mine, because for me, the focus is just like it was for Julia, those people sitting in front of the television watching the show, that they learn something, that they make something their own from what I am teaching them or have to offer. And uh, so that, you know, I reward them. They give me half an hour. I need to give them something back. And so I look at different things. So where are we going? I thought, you know, at home, I cook a lot in one pot, you know, one pot meal, whether it's a sauce, whether it's a braising, whether it's a frittata, whether it's this. And I said, you know, let me pull all that together. There's a consciousness about, uh, you know, cooking things uh, maybe less complicated. I also love to include a lot of vegetables in my cooking. Uh, I always did. You know, that's the Italian way. Uh, two-thirds of any meal are vegetables in an in Italian uh, true dinner, shall we say. So so all of this, uh, you know, let me just put it together, a few simple recipes that they can do at home. It doesn't pose a problem. It doesn't mess up the kitchen with 10 pots and pans. And, uh, and, you know, certainly Italy has enough of those recipes, whether it's baked pasta, whether it's braising, whether it's soups, whether it's salads. And that was the thought behind uh, 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 Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and A Bowl. Uh, the future, I think the next one that we're working on, I think, you know, uh, editors uh, have a lot to say on... on, on uh, <laughs> On, they on, do, on, don't they? Yeah. they do, they do. Well, you know, they know, they know what sells, what people are looking for, what. The, so, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, you know, my whole family is involved. We always were, we still are. We get together, and the matriarch, my mother, has left us. In I know, in, I'm so sorry, but wow, yeah. amazing, cento in. 
incredibile. 100 in gennaio è morta in febbraio. So she was 100 in January and she died in February. She waited, she wanted to achieve that. And she said, so I think that the next one, uh, I'm going to do a book of uh, our favorites, you know, the whole family, who likes what, and specially dedicate uh, a section to grandma's favorites. Oh, that's lovely. That's so great. And I was on that note, though, can we stick on family for a second? Because I, I hadn't maybe paid enough attention before of how often your daughter is a collaborator with you on the cookbooks. And I wanted to ask you how how that collaboration got started and how it's evolved and and how that goes for you. Absolutely. You know, uh, as a family, uh, we eat together, we stay together. My mother lived with us. And so it's a continuum. My daughter actually, I'm very proud of her, has a PhD from Oxford in Renaissance art history. And and she did her research, lived in Italy, Florence. I was going to uh, say she, she would have had to live in Firenze if she was doing uh, Renaissance art history. Exactly. And uh, uh, she, she married, met her husband, uh, Romano, which uh, uh, Corrado, we love. And uh, when they got married, and they decided to, f- to, to have a family, uh, they were living in Italy, but uh, they, my daughter said, you know, I want to come close to my mother. I guess, you know, the family was pulling her with the child coming and so on. So although she was a, a professor and a teacher in Florence, when she came back and, uh, uh, you know, as she was uh, growing, uh, I was doing my books and I says, why don't you help me? She just jumped in, helped me with the books, the research she did. That's what she did. She was great at it. And that's how it continued. And she had two children. She was a sort of a stay-home mom while they were infants. But then the family helped over and she uh, went out and kind of took on the challenge of my shows, the productions of my shows, the books, and then into the restaurant business, which, which now she and Joe are leading all of the restaurants and the future growth of it. And and does she say to you, gosh, I never imagined when I was getting a PhD in, in Renaissance art that that I, that I would be a, following in your footsteps as a restaurant mogul? There you go. You see? <laughs> I mean, food is art. Food is art. Uh, you know, it's, it's a way of life. It's, uh, 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 you know, I'm glad. Oh, yeah, you, you too. What was your specialty? Did you, Renaissance? What? Um, well, I studied architecture, and, and ah. I studied. I had the you know, tremendous privilege of studying architecture in in Florence, in Firenze, and and in Rome, and it was incredible. I've drawn more palazzos than or palazzi than anyone, ah, <laughs> but it was a fantastic experience. And of course, that was where I learned to cook for the first time because I had to. And what you know, what an amazing place to learn and start cooking for yourself than Florence. Absolutely. Uh, so, so you see, you were you were uh, sort of taken into this wonderful world of food because food is culture, food is art, food is all of that. But most importantly, food brings us together. Absolutely. Okay, I'd be remiss if we don't go back to the current book because it is having gone through it. It has really wonderful um, recipes that I can see making. Um, again and again, and, and you know, some are more complicated than others, but most are very accessible and don't call for a massive list of ingredients. But one thing I was curious about is th- some of them are traditionally Italian, but I think some of them are not. And from your point of view, do you describe it as an Italian cookbook or more of an Italian-influenced cookbook? What's your point of view on how it came together? 
I think, I think you know, uh, uh, in the beginning, I felt very uh, uh, the need to specify it's Italian. But I think as these 50 years and 20 years on television for me and 20-somewhat years of writing cookbooks, people have uh, gotten to know Lydia and my background and how, you know, the area that I come from, how diverse it is, you know, as we were saying before, certainly Italian, Roman, but it was under the Austro-Hungarians, the Slavic, and I have all those influences. You know, I can make a strudel, I can make a sahat torta, and uh, then I can make panettone and uh, cacio e pepe. Then I can make uh, sarme, which is stuffed cabbage. And this is all kind of to me, it's natural, and I bring it all in because, you know, ever more now, it is sort of understanding other cultures through food. Yeah, no, I think that really comes across in just the best way, and and feels very American too. That it's bringing you know you're picking and choosing the best of these different things from cultures, and and keeping dishes like you said, like caucho e pepe, you know, traditional. But then there are other dishes that you bring in, and I also loved the book. I felt you know, even from the title really fits the time where people feel very starved for time. And you talk about using instant pots and using leftovers, which is, of course, always been part of Italian tradition. And then also that ready-made ingredients or time-saving shortcuts are are fine. And I think that's, you know, terrific. Yeah. Was that something you really set out to, to, to help people with in terms of your... Well, you know, I remember even when we came here first as immigrants... You know, to find uh, beans cooked, uh, canned, and they were delicious. A lot of times, you know, we use beans a lot in salads. Like, like you have an escarole, you throw some beans. And a lot of times, uh, you know, my mother was working, I was in school or whatever. We use those things and they came in handy. So I kind of reverted to that. And you know what? Some of the sort of prepared foods or or halfway prepared foods are very valid because there's a consciousness now to to you know the nutritional value of it so absolutely you know canned beans uh, uh all all this even even the pre-cooked pasta for a quick lasagna for a night you can make a lasagna when you come home from work now this way the way i i uh, show you in this recipe you know you buy the pre-cooked pasta and i was kind of i said does this really work to tell you the truth, I, I was skeptic. I tested it a few times and it really works. And it really gives them gives them uh, an opportunity to have, and it comes out good. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because that you just reminded me one of the recipes that I thought that I was really eager to try was your one pot lasagna. And But I'm not familiar with no boil pasta. Is that what you're talking about? Is that actually, is is it actually, you need to buy a certain kind of pasta though to do this? Exactly. It's the, the no boil lasagna. Uh, and, uh, you know, you need to make it a little bit more moister, add, you know, enough sauce or whatever so that it gets a chance to cook. But it is delicious. Try it, Todd. Where do you get it? In regular You buy it in stores, regular stores. You and know? does it literally say on the package, no boil pasta or how yeah, is it? Yeah, pre-cooked, no boil, and it's regular strips of pasta, not the curly one. It's just straight pasta. And uh, it's it's great. You just break it into the right pieces of your pot, a pan or whatever you're doing it in a pan is fine, you know. And this is sometimes when you have like leftover sauce or leftover meatballs or whatever, you can whip up a lasagna in no time. I also tell them bread, uh, lasagna and vegetables, you know, instead of pasta, 
old bread, some sauce, some vegetables and cheese, and you put it in the oven. And So absolutely, try it, uh, Todd. You, you're going to have fun, and you, it's delicious. And did you look at what do they do to it? To, is it essentially parboil? Is there some technique that didn't exist before that enables? Them I, to I do think, it? yeah, I think like parboil rice and all of that. It's steamed before, so it gets a chance to to cook, but doesn't sort of break down the starches completely. And then it continues to cook at the given temperature, the time with the given liquid that you put in. It finishes off. Wow. Interesting. I, we definitely try it. And listeners, if you've tried it, let it let 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 me and Lydia know how you made out with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Let us know. Let us know, Ted. So we're getting to the 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 fun part, I think, of of autumn coming into season, fall coming into season. So I, I wanted to know if you could call out a couple dishes from the book that you really think take advantage of what's available at this time of year. Well, now you have you know all the squashes. Um, I'm, I'm, I have the book right here, so. I am. Uh, I know. I used a lot of uh, squash and kale salad. A roasted squash, a sprouts, uh, and and kale salad. That's a delicious. Then uh, braised short ribs with uh, turnips and squash in there. So it's all one kind of pot of meal. You get your vegetables and all of that uh, together. Uh, let's see. Chicken and Brussels sprouts. That's a great mm. dish that I have. Um, and uh, I used, uh, um, you know, like roasted mustard salmon with cabbage and carrots. So if you put the cabbage and carrots, you know, on a, on a tray, uh, roasting tray, season it with all the seasons, you put it in, in the oven, and then you have your salmon and you uh, sort of brush it with mustard and all of that. Halfway through the cooking of the vegetables, you make a little space, you put the salmon there, they finish together, and you have a complete meal, one roasting tray mm. to wash. Sounds perfect. So it, would you say that fall is really all about embracing root vegetables, or do you see it more broadly? Root vegetables, mushrooms are, you know, risottos with mushrooms are, are, are great. Soups, uh, uh, you know, getting into the soups now. Uh, but yeah, root vegetables, all the cabbages... Uh, the the cauliflowers, all of that. That's that's great. The fruits too. I love cooking with fruits. You know, pears are great now. Apples are great, uh, uh, and uh, quince. I love cooking with quince, roasting, uh, making uh, desserts with quince. So yes, you know, use all the fall products. Certainly enough of them. And of course, the sort of the going back to a little bit of of meat game, if you like. Uh, you know, it's 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 good. You know, venison, uh, or it's getting into that season now. Thank you for those tips. We're going to take another break, and we'll be right back to hear Lydia's Julia moment. Get in touch, send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org, or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. And let us know what you think about today's show. And let us know if you tried no-boil pasta and what happened. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up. And if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. 
Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. All right, Lydia, what, what's your official Julia moment? What would you like for the record? Oh, my goodness. What I loved uh, 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 about her is after she came to the restaurant and all that, she realized she had risotto with mushrooms, and she loved it. And she wanted to learn how to make risotto. So she came over the house, and I gave her a tutorial on mushroom risotto. But, you know, having Julia over the house, it was a big event. So I made other things. Uh, the family also joined after the tutorial was finished. Uh, my husband uh, played the accordion, and it wasn't unusual. And you lived in Italy for, at the end of a meal, some instrument to come out, and the family sings together. Well, we he pulled out the accordion, started singing uh, an, Italian, an Italian favorite song, don't you think Julia started singing with us, not knowing the words or anything? <laughs> we ultimately taped this as well, and it's in one of her uh, MasterChef series. So, but that was a different time. So, the you was it that for the MasterChefs when you were on, did you recreate this sort of private Absolutely. moment that it happened? Yeah, because I've seen that. I was like, I've seen this with your husband playing the accordion, but it had actually happened or sort yes. of more organically yes. before. Yes, my mother was there, uh, my mother's companion. We were all there, just like a family. Like we all, we, uh, she just felt so much. She fit right into the family. She sang with us. We drank some wine, and uh, uh, it was one of the, the greatest day I knew then that, you know, uh, Julia was somebody that I really wanted to stay close to, and I loved and I adored. And uh, she had a lot to teach. You know, my style uh, Todd, when, when, when I, we did this Master Chef series and the producer asked Lydia, would you consider a show of your own? And she encouraged me all the way. And when I looked at her shows and her style, she was about teaching, sharing with the viewer. She was not about showing what she can do and how she can do it and whatever. Uh, and she would readily point out her mistakes and all that. And, and that was, so wonderful for me because that's reality. And so I must say that maybe my style for the shows and for everything, even for the books, uh, is modeled and uh, I guess mentored to some extent by Julia. But uh, uh, a touching moment was when uh, Julia moved back to Santa Barbara and I went to visit her. And it was towards the end uh, of her days and she had uh, adopted a little black cat Mm -hmm. And uh, we sat there and she played with this black cat, cat. And, you know, the, the comfort, you could see that she was accepting this time of life uh, with the cat. We sat there. Uh, we went on to, to have a, a martini on the, on the, on the sea, on the beach there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it was the last time I saw Julia. But you shared a martini together. Or you each did. had your own, I assume. No, no, we each had our own. She, <laughs> she was quite capable of having her own martini. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Do you, that, that's so, so you sat, so that's, is that your last memory of being with Julia is sitting it on is. the beach having a martini? Well, that's, yes. that's, a, that's a pretty good one from, from the first time of making risotto with mushrooms in New York to. Uh, Absolutely. It was, uh, uh, and I cherish that moment in my memory. 
Oh, well, Lydia, I'm so delighted to talk to you today and have you join us and share your your Julia memories and your passion for Italian food and and your your, your latest book, which is really, I think, for everybody to uh, get in the kitchen and learn something new in, in record time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. And thank you, everybody, for listening. That's my line. Lydia just covered it. So we'll move right along for the latest. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um and for the latest from Lydia, it's at Lydia Bastianich. She's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter because she's still going strong. And you can go to lydiasitaly.com to navigate her whole multifaceted food world. The cookbook, again, is Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and a Bowl, Simple Recipes for Perfect Meals by Lydia Bastianich and Tanya Bastianich Manuelli with photographs by Armando Raphael. It's out now from our friends at Knopf. Julia's publisher and Lydia's. Ask for it or search for it at your favorite bookseller. Please follow the foundation to stay up to date on how to watch the presentation of this year's Julia Child Award on November 4. It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram, at Julia Child JCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks, as always, to my co-producer at the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 